my name is Alexander Krause, Alex for short, A for two short, and welcome to Big Tall Boys. Big Tall Boys is our middle name. How very exciting. This is the first ever episode I've ever done whilst having COVID. Isn't this so exciting? I'm incapable of tasting things. I, I can't believe that's the symptom that I got, but I actually cannot taste things that I put into my mouth. I've tried mushes, I've tried stews, I've tried chowders, all of which taste like soup. It's almost like all of these different brothy concoctions are all of the same consistency, right? So regardless of any type of technique that I put in beforehand of making the particular wet dish, they all seem to just be soup-like, you know, broths, chowders, pots, pans, potlucks, all of it is essentially soup to me. It's it's terrible for my discerning taste, but I I, I I I'm still I'm still going out there, you know. I'm still trying to accomplish things, accomplish new goals, and to that I'm still putting out a new episode of this production. It's not medically advisable. I feel like if there was a list of things you're not supposed to do while having COVID, one of them would be uh, forcing yourself to create a podcast in which you talk solely for an hour. I feel like it's probably not good for the throat, the lungs, anything involved in that realm, except for I'm on that grind, you know? I'm completely addicted to the sound of my own voice, and these past few days of me dealing with this, uh, of this problem have been detrimental to my mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually kind of losing it upstairs because my downstairs, which is uh, not really down downstairs in terms of my upstairs to my downstairs, not in terms of, I'm not, let me be clear, I'm not talking about my, my, my penis. My penis is fine. I'm not talking about that. It's doing good, okay? And I hate, I hate having to do so many check-ins on this show about it. I don't know. I don't, I feel like somebody, I feel like somebody like contacted a doctor at some point about maybe Alex needs help with something. I don't know. Perhaps it was when I was saying things about the Calvin Klein grease tray and what have you. It's, it's fine. It's, it's not good. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. Like, it's not doing great, but it's fine. So let's just leave that there. Uh, but what I'm talking about is downstairs in terms of the mental fortitude. Just down to that is the mouth. And the mouth speaks the words, and the words give me life and love and value. And so today what we're going to be doing is a little bit of a skewering of... You know, I'm too sick. I'm too sick to really, to really try to high behind any sort of sarcastic or tongue-in-cheek tone. We're going to do what Office Ladies does, but we're doing it for me, okay? I watched one of these little episodes, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard this show before. It's called The Office. Long-running situational comedy, nine or ten seasons, I believe nine, uh, in which a group, a cavalcade of characters all come together inside this office paper salesman in uh, Scranton. If you've never heard of the show, let me tell you, it is a mile a minute, okay? It is a laugh a mile, and in that laughter, you get about 30 seconds, you know? It's... It's got fun. It's got games. It's got, um, let me, let me run down the characters for you just so to give you a full scope. We've got Oscar Martinez. Okay. We've got, can I, I, why is that the name I could pull? I can't remember any, <laughs> the character everybody knows Oscar Martinez. Um, Kevin, Kevin McLeod. That's who does the audio. Kevin something. Kevin something. Um, not Allison. The one that's blonde. Angela. Angela, last name, Dwight Schrute, of course, Jim Halpert, Pam Beasley, okay, I'm remembering, Michael Scott, uh, Holly, Holly's in the later seasons, um, the interns, love the, uh, plop, 
Love it when they're making fun of his name being Andy Dwyer, of course. Love those later seasons where everything kind of falls apart, especially season nine, which is a complete utter mess. It's good fun. Uh, Gabe. Gabe. Everybody loves Gabe. Meredith. Creed. Uh, a few other characters. You know what? If Stanley, Stanley, um, you know, if I forgot your character and you are the actor portraying that character and Phyllis and you are, um, Bob Vance and <laughs> Ryan and Kelly, and you're trying to create, uh, your own podcast in which you're doing these records. Here's the thing. Office ladies isn't the only one that's doing this. A lot of these idiots, a lot of these actors who are on the show are trying to, live off the heyday of being on this production and they're creating their own rewatch podcast. They're creating all these various things. And it's incredibly interesting that I'm going to topple all of them by just doing it all better. Here's the thing. They come into my domain and they think they understand the podcasting game better than I, better than me, better than my, excuse you, excuse me, excuse I. You're wrong in saying that. I know everything to do here. And I'm going to punch up your, um, your, your tackling of this. Okay. This is how you really, this is how you really look at a production. This is how you really review it and look back over the time that you spent there. Okay, let's jump into it. Today, we're, of course, looking at Season 2, Episode 10, Christmas Party, uh, written by Michael Schur, directed by Charles McDougall, aired December 6th, 2005, cinematography by Randall Einhorn, and editing by David Rogers. Okay, a bit of a boys' party, if you ask me, if everybody's working below the line on this one. Uh, the, the, uh, the description of what this episode is about is seeing the party is headed for disastrous boredom. Michael breaks corporate policy to buy alcohol for the staff. Let me tell you, working on this one was an absolute delight. The Office is a show where it's hard not to call us a family. You know, you're on the set, you're off the set, you're, um, removed from the set. It's really, it's really cool. And, it doesn't matter if you're filming an episode that's, you know, that's a special hour-long episode of The Office airing on NBC after Chuck. It doesn't matter if it, it it doesn't matter if it's the one that's airing after the Super Bowl, right? Every episode is treated equally in terms of artistic credit and merit and wonderment. And everybody on that set is so bonded together and ready to give it their all. Um, you know, early seasons with like Amy Adams coming on is you know, I hold them near and dear to my heart. Those later seasons where you have um, James Spader coming onto the production, all of that encompasses into this one beautiful family web. I am on the messaging chain for a lot of, the, you know, for this show. And you got to see these gifts everybody's posting. Is other people post gifts of The Office in conversation, okay? The cast and crew of The Office post Seinfeld gifts in their messenger conversations. It's insane. The amount of times I'll be messaging um Erin, or as her actor is known, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but you know, she goes by Erin. Uh when we're when I'm talking to Erin and over Messenger and she's like a lane dance. And I feel connected there in a way that I didn't think was actually possible. It's times where I'm discussing things with um, John Krasinski. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I know you're a big fan of the show. You've been on the production before. How's it going? Uh, and he'll post a little clip of the Super Nazi. And it makes me feel like I'm more than... I don't know. It makes it feel like the show is larger than life. That even these friends, not the cast of friends, the, the people in the office are engaging in the same rhetoric and ways of communication, perhaps through Seinfeld, but in a way that feels wholly true to them. Uh, and it's, I'm saying all of that just to give you a broad understanding of the 
interconnections and relationships going into as I break down this episode. This is the Christmas Party episode, season two, episode 10. And as I kind of work through this, you may get a particular image of who I am as a person, but always remember we're family, we're friends, okay? Everything's in good fun. Everything's a laugh. Now, this episode opens up with Dwight and Michael bringing in the Christmas tree for the family. And, you know, they try to put it up. There's some problems. They, you know, it's a little bit too tall, okay? Uh, John Krasinski much <laughs> too tall that's what he is so what needed to be done is we had to cut the top of this bad boy and michael sure is a genius is he's writing this thing he's penning it he's watching us putting up this christmas tree and it's like a light bulb dinging in his bleeding brain and he recognizes that the com true comedy doesn't come from what you write on the page it comes from reality he saw us riffing around moving this tree and whatnot and when i say me okay let me let me take a step back i feel like i've maybe skipped over a key detail about my involvement with the show we're a family everybody loves each other yes keep that in mind um i was sort of robbed in the production of this episode uh, i don't know if there's any better way to put that but yeah it was really up on christmas it was about to be christmas time uh this aired 2005 this is 2004 i was nine years old you know, enjoying my time, enjoying my time, enjoying my life. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Kevin kind of burst through my door. Toby started grabbing things out of, uh, uh my junk drawer. Uh, you know, Erin and Pam were kind of going through my medicine cabinets. And, yeah, they full on burgled me. They wore balaclavas. They broke in windows. They broke in more than even one window. They didn't even need the one point. They only need one point of entry, but they broke in everything and they were prepared. They threw down like a mat after them. So they knew that when they jumped through the window, they wouldn't step in glass. So clearly they've done this before. And so most of the things you're going to see in this episode is from my house. Most of this is stolen goods from me. Um, so yeah, that's my involvement in the episode. And I love being featured in any way, whether it be me present on set or whether it be me trying to get my items back as they're trying to film this was a real experience i've never been on a set before i've never been robbed by the cast and crew of the office and crew okay there was a fucking gaffer who took my fucking vase <laughs> my parents were of course away on a trip and i said don't worry i'm not going to throw any parties and i didn't i was actually really respectful and when i didn't and then the office cast and crew broke into my house and started robbing the place and i started freaking out going well clearly my parents are gonna think this was a party there's no way i could explain this nobody's gonna believe me um so i started trying to hide things you know i put the vase underneath the kitchen sink as classic uh parents out of town party tradition is to hold and yeah straight away uh they found it a gaffer found it started tossing it around every which way I don't understand their end goal here. I guess they didn't have enough items for the production and they thought this would get them there. I'm, I'm still honestly, it's been a lot, it's been 17 years since this happened, 18 years since this happened. I'm still fucking reeling, but, um, yeah. Anyway, back to the episode. They have this Christmas tree. My Christmas tree was really excited for Christmas. They were trying to get into the place. They cut off the top of it to make it fit because Michael sure would be sure thought it'd be funny to speak truth to the tree being too tall. I was pretty pissed. Um, it fit pretty comfortably inside our home, but I guess it didn't fit comfortably within an office for the set of the show. Uh, so I was trying to salvage. I was trying to get at least the top of the tree and trying to get that. They were kind of like pushing me back. 
at that point, I had to speak with some money guys. They started shaking me down, saying the damage that treated to the ceiling was going to cost them a lot of money. So I was over there at Crafty, and they were kind of like, they pushed me up against a brick wall, held me up by the collar, and said that I need to pay them reimbursements for the damage that the brambles of the tree are doing to the ceiling tiling. Uh, at which point, they kind of, sh- yeah, they shook me down. They actually... They're actually like a cartoon character. They turned me upside down and they shook me violently until all my change fell out of my pockets onto the ground below. And they had the goal, the wherewithal and the goal to the, the fucking Ryan goal to make fun of me, to make fun of me for the lack of things falling out of my pockets. There is nothing more embarrassing than getting shaken down inside that manner. Your wallet falls out, it springs open and a moth flies out. Okay. It is mortifying. I can't imagine what would have happened to Batman's parents if they were shaken down and the robber realized those pearls were fakes, okay? It is so embarrassing being robbed when you don't have any money on you. You feel like, I don't know, you feel like you're not even worth it. Like, why did you, like, this terrible experience didn't even give you happiness. I would be content with the robbery if at least you got something out of it as the thief. You must be going through a bad time. Okay, so it's good to see that you've done, you know, at least you're getting something out of the transaction. Anyway, yeah, they shook me down and then they said, you know how you can make it up for us? I said, I, well, I'll do anything. Just please leave me alone. And they said, we need new opening credits. So, yeah, some backstory behind the opening credits Usually they use the same production. Um, they previously recorded these credits of like scenes from Scranton or whatnot, different characters posing in locations. They said they lost the source. I don't know what the fuck that means. They said they don't have the original cut and they needed a new one done. So you may notice when you're watching the episode, I had to venture out to a local video store, um, trying to find a copy of the blockbuster was open at this point because i was yeah it was 2004 so blockbuster was open i went to a local blockbuster i was trying to find a dvd copy of season one of the office that i could utilize to help um you know season one pretty much just i was very not aware of this production at all because 2004 season one pretty much just came out what i did was i started rifling through i went through the shelves they said they didn't have any copies they said there might be some returns I went through the returns bin. I found a copy of season one with, um, you know, Michael Scott, uh, what's his name? Uh, Steve Carell with the, uh, less hair than he has in future years and seasons. Uh, you know, the, yeah, you know, season one. Why am I recapping that? Why would I be so cruel to mention his lack of hair in recapping what season one was? I'm talking about season two. Of course you know what I'm talking about. He, uh, yeah, so I got that season one recording. I, um, yeah, I found the credits, the opening credits. I burned it onto a different VCR tape. My father was very into that at the time. So we had all the equipment. I got the VCR. I brought it back to the set. They took it off me without even saying thanks, which I thought was pretty bullshit. Cause I just did them a huge fucking favor. I can't imagine NBC would be happy if they didn't have their opening credits. Uh, and yeah, so you may notice if you're watching that episode, the opening credits sequence has like those Ray lines that happen on a recording from a vcr where like it kind of shakes and shimmies is a little bit out of focus that's why that's there in the original cut i believe if you watch on a streaming service they took it out uh yeah so if you watch like the original dvd cut you'll probably see it there so something else that's probably um i think people will find this pretty interesting is of course i live in australia this is being shot in december i don't think they recognize that shooting this show in australia means i don't know i don't know why they went to a, they went we're gonna do a location episode 
They moved the entire set of the office and like the building and what, what have you. And they brought it to Australia without recognizing that we're filming a Christmas episode. It's going to be hot as shit in December in Australia. Okay. Heatwave. These characters were, these actors, these actors, actors and characters were so hot. Like actually, if you watch the episode, you'll see it sweat pouring down their faces they could barely get through lines without collapsing down onto the ground. They w- decided, like, oh, we're still going to wear the sweaters. People are still going to dress up as Santa Claus. All this stuff. Completely impractical wear and garb for the season. I I didn't know. At, at this point, you know, I was sticking around because each time I tried to leave, um, they would... You know, each time... I didn't want to be spotted at this point. Because it seems like whenever I engage with anybody in this cast or crew, they seem to, yeah, shake me down, steal money from me, steal things from my property, whatnot. So I'm trying to keep, like, a complete still, if I don't move, they can't see me attitude. So I'm kind of standing off into the wings. Um, they set up some... They set up some seating there. Uh, and I was just kind of, like, standing beside it, just blankly staring out of nothing. I tried not to focus on anybody or get into anybody's eye lines. But obviously, with the heat, it was rather difficult because I'm I'm pulling essentially. You know, I wore my very very best zip off shorts, and I was trying my best to unzip so that I could go from pants to shorts because I was burning up. Uh, and every single time I kind of moved my hand down to try to get at the zipper, you'd hear like a zzz, and you'd see Kevin would just like quickly turn his head towards me, and I'd stop in place. And he'd look around like he was an NPC in Metal Gear Solid and say, I thought I heard something. This was a full-on Metal Gear Solid solid set, okay? Kevin was walking around with his chili. Creed was walking around with Creed Bratton was walking around with his guitar. Meredith was taking swigs out of a uh, out of a gin bottle. And I was I was standing still trying to unzip these <laughs> these zip-off pants. Sometimes I'd throw like a rock in the distance so they'd all turn and get distracted with exclamation points. And during that, I got a little bit more zip. But altogether, altogether, I think I got one leg off. I think I got one leg off and went, that's, I don't know why I'm tempting fate. At least my right side won't die from heat exhaustion. Maybe my right calf survives this and they can use it to create my clone in four billion years time. That was my, that was my heart. That's really... The heat had really got to my head. That was the only hope I could see left. Now, let's talk about some of these. Let's talk about the plot of the episode and some of these items they stole from there. So this was the Secret Santa episode, yeah? Which means they needed items to fill out the set. They needed items that all these characters were gifting across. And of course, all these items were mine. We have the centerpiece item, the teapot. Jim is getting this for Pam. Very nice of him. Uh, and he's also trying to like show his emotions and whatnot. But it's interesting. They actually didn't do anything to these items in, in total. So this, this teapot that contained my hot sauce packet, because sometimes I like things spicy. It contained my childhood picture of John Krasinski, because I think he's a strapping young lad. And at that point, as a nine year old, I was trying to uh, learn who I was wanting to be when I grew older. And I saw him as a little bit of an icon. Okay, despite him not really being in anything at the time. Uh, what else did I have in there? I had my letter to Pam. <laughs> I had my letter to Pam. And it just so happens that a lot of the things I keep in my teapot are the sorts of things a writer can really utilize to show John Krasinski's love of um, Pam Beasley, right? And so it's all coincidental. I just had my picture of John Krasinski. I had my letter to Pam. None of that. 
I, let me let me give you some background. A lot of people are wondering what was in the letter. Okay, let me read. Actually, I think I have it here. Let me read my letter, uh, just so you can get a little sense of what was actually there that could have been read before uh, John's character put it in his back pocket. Let me. Hello, Pam Beasley. <laughs> I understand that you work reception in the uh, Scranton offices on the production. The Office. I've always been a big fan ever since season one that just came out, and it would be a real pleasure if I were able to meet you. John Krasinski's got nothing on me. Sure, he's tall, but can he do this? I just realized this is a letter, and you're not going to be understand the actions that I'm taking to impress you. But know that I've put my fist up towards my ear, and I'm pumping up my little muscles. I am nine. And as a nine-year-old, you may think I'm not experienced in the world. But what you don't know is nine is the new 40. And as a 40-year-old man, I've learned a lot about what it means to both be in school and getting a good education, and also what it means to struggle with your concept of self as in your later years, the friendships that you previously formed start to fade away in favor of you spending more time really becoming contemplative of who you are as an individual. Pam Beasley, I'm struggling in my, I'm struggling in my mental 40s. I've said that I'm in my 40s now as a little bit of a ruse to get your attraction and now I'm stuck there mentally. Please, Pam Beasley, help me. Now I'm really unsure about who I am as a person and I'm worried that I've maybe wasted my younger years and in older age, I will not be satisfied with the person that I have become. Perhaps you can get me out of this tailspin. Love Alex or like Alex. Or like, like Alex, whichever way you want to talk about me, I am cool with that. I'd even settle for friends with benefits. I am nine. So obviously, yeah, that's entirely inappropriate. Let me put this, let me put this letter, the crinkle, crinkle, crinkle of paper. Let me put that away. Yeah, obviously that's entirely inappropriate. Okay, so clearly, and that's why they didn't read it on the episode. They said, we're going to read whatever it says in here. It'd be a nice moment. We can see how you feel about Pam. And then they read it and went, let's do another shot where he puts it in his back pocket because this is not going to make any sense in terms of the actual production. So yeah, that was taken out, obviously. Uh, So some of these other items, there's, of course, my new iPod. I was supposed to be getting it for Christmas. When they ransacked the house, they found it inside one of my cupboards. They stole it away and they used it on the show and then they all fought over it. Um, like, obviously it was cool seeing my objects in the, you know, it was going to be my birthday gift and like, um, it was going to be my Christmas gift. And like, that's, it was cool seeing it in the show altogether. It felt like I really like was a part of the TV network experience, but yeah, obviously that was really painful to see. Some of the ones that hurt a little bit more is they use my Kelly sign, which is my favorite sign. I often use it to denote when an individual is being Kelly. I'll put it up in somebody's desk. Uh, oftentimes I'll place it onto a teacher's desk and say, tag, you're Kelly. It's called Kelly tag. Uh, you know, and some other items. My poster of babies playing jazz, which they mocked relentlessly in the episode. They keep saying you have to be a complete creep to own this. What the fuck? That's my poster. That's like my favorite one too. Of all my babies doing stuff posters, that's one of the best ones. Uh, so that felt pretty shit. Um, what else did they actually steal from me? I guess uh, my foot bath, which was pretty cool. Nothing that was... 
you know, my one of my favorite shirts as well, they took and mocked that as well, saying it was like an old shirt. Yeah, it's an old shirt. It's my old shirt you took out of my laundry hamper. Thank you very much. So yeah, they had all these items and they're mocking them relentlessly. You'd have to be a creep to own this. Um, you'd only be, God, this iPod would be so good if I got this for Christmas. It's like they were digging the knife in after robbing me. Um, you can even see during some of the scenes in the background, you can see the balaclavas just laying there on the ground. Like they've just robbed me. I want to give you a full scope of the timeline of this. There was some people in there, in those shots that they had to CGI around them because they were actually still in my house. There was camera crews in my house during the robbery shooting Kevin talking about getting himself for secret set. They did the talking heads in my bathroom with Kevin and they just CGI'd around. It's some fucking bullshit altogether. And sure, my house has great sound. Sure, a lot of it's painted matte green, so it's easy to green screen over it. But that doesn't mean that they have to keep filming shit here, okay? Oh, we want to film the new Thor in Australia because it's so easy to shoot at Alex's house. What the fuck? I didn't say yes to that, Chris. I didn't say yes to that, Taika. Okay, complete bullshit. Oh, oh, just because everything's marked off perfectly with gaffer tape doesn't mean that you can come in and shoot a movie. Okay? Oh, just because I have that new wall screen technology that I'm forgetting the name of in my living room because I'm fully into the VR experience doesn't mean that you can shoot the new Batman here. Okay? Fucking Reeves. Reeves, get out of my house. Okay? I don't care that Patterson's in here. I don't care that I respect him as an auteur and a filmmaker, as an actor. Okay? I'm trying to shower right now. Anyway. Anyway. Some other behind the scenes information about the show. Let's move on. Let's move on past the gifts. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pissed off about the gifts. Let's talk about something else that is involved with them ransacking my house. Okay. Let's talk about the liquor situation. Now, as the party goes on in this episode, Scott, you know, he loses control of the office. He's upset that people like the iPod and all this stuff. He's insulting this oven mint that my mother knitted me, that they try to lump in to be a part of Phyllis's backstory. Uh, and in a way for him to try to gain their trust, he buys ton, like 15 bottles of vodka and he's going to go through this big party and everybody's going to enjoy the Christmas party because no longer are they focused on the gifts and his contrivances he's added to the gift exchange that he can feel better about receiving a better gift than the one that he went for. And I don't know. I haven't seen the, I I haven't seen the episode since I was robbed during it. So I'm not going to remember every single detail. But some interesting facts about this vodka, they couldn't use the real brand on set. Sometimes people will say, oh, you can't actually use real alcohol on set. You usually can. You usually can because um, nobody really knows. Like it needs to film right. You know, you know, like those tricks where ice cream in commercials is actually mashed potatoes. Vodka in commercials is actually vodka. You need the correct viscosity to make it actually look like that beautiful clear nectar. You think water would work, but it doesn't. Water bubbles when you shake it. When you shake vodka, okay, you get a different style of bubble. Different style of bubble. Yeah. So it's pretty important that you use real vodka on set. But the problem here was that they they weren't able to use the brand that they were trying to utilize. So they had to pour all of the real vodka into a different style bottle. And then they asked me to do an illustrator on this thing. They said we need a logo for this vodka corporation. And what more, Alex? Actually, while you're there, could you actually file that as an LLC? Could you actually get an employee roster put in place? Where are you bottling the vodka? What is the structural command? Who's your second in charge in case something were to unfortunately happen to you? So yeah, they shake me down, they rob me, and then they say, create an entire vodka empire. And you know what I did? 
I fucking did it. And you know why I did it? And this is something I learned when I was nine, is I'm a yes man. If somebody tells me, hey, go out there, create a vodka empire so that we can use this prop in our show without people having to Google it and being like, wait, is this a fake brand? Uh, which is what happens with the say like community where they have like those fake chips that are often referenced and commented on is they become a bit of a running joke that breaks the uh, reality of the world. They wanted a real vodka brand. So I created it. So yeah, I created this empire. I employed 40 odd individuals for, I mean, what, since this episode aired, it's been six, seven, 18 years. It's been like 18 years or something of me, you know, utilizing this empire. Of course, now I've got uh, I recently did sell it to Ryan Reynolds, who you may see trying to advertise his different careers through his very funny commercial videos that he constructs. One of them being for this podcast, uh, for this vodka, or sorry, I have podcasts on the mind because I'm doing one, uh, but for this vodka organization that he's now in control of. So yeah, they shook me down and they made me create this vodka empire, which was total bullshit. Um, and I guess, I guess in terms of, um, the episode, I think I only want to say a few more things about this episode. I mean, I'd be thinking, Alex, I'm sure there's more things than the big robbery. I'm honestly, I'm recording this episode because I just need to get the word out about the big robbery. Okay. I'm sick. I have COVID. I'm legitimately sick. I don't know if my audio is going to sound different because, uh, you know, my, th- my I'm, not, I'm not good. Like I'm not feeling good. So I don't know if this is going to sound terrible or not. Uh, but you know, we'll see that in post in the edit. Uh, but I only want a few more things, just like few closing statements about some things about the set and everything that's going on. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm mentioning all of this because, you know, at the end of the day, we're a family and families, these disputes need to be handled in the open fields of war. Uh, those being the war of public opinion. I want people to know about what really happened, what went down. And I'd like to mention some other things that happened on set that might also add to the incredulity. A word that sounds similar to that, but probably not. Uh, I want to add to the malicious nature of this set and some of the mishaps that happened just to kind of further my case. Bob Vance died before production of this episode. Um, he was being puppeted. So that was pretty chill. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's going to like, I feel like that's probably a bigger legal case than even my robbery or whatever. But yeah, Bob Vance, whoever plays him, he did die before the production still. And people tried to play it off as him being totally fine and they were puppeting him around, but it was very clear that he had passed away. Um, Todd Packer's, uh, actor guy here, there's a part where he had mistletoe in his crotch, uh, is he actually fell, uh, he actually fell down the side of a cliff and rolled through a bunch of brambles, uh, in an attempt to get a Christmas tree. It's why he shows up later into the episode is that already robbed my tree at this point. He shows up covered in brambles and he said, sorry guys, I couldn't get a tree, but I found something better. And on his crotch was mistletoe. Yeah, so like he was he clearly, clearly they needed a tree and that's why they initially robbed me and he went out and then he came back and he didn't find the object. Uh, so it's further adding to the clear, you know, intention of what they were trying to do. Um, at the end, they mentioned that everybody's going to go off to Paul Richards afterwards. Originally, I heard, so there was scenes shot at the Paul Richards. They dragged me along to this bar as like some sort of after party. They were filming it. A lot of this is done in like a real life scenario where they just go out and they get completely sloshed and they're all drinking at this bar and they're saying you know they, they start dinging their glasses ding 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 and they say okay i think it's about time that we bring him out and we we say every you know we get everything off our chest please welcome out alex kraus okay and i come up it sounds very much like the dundies i come up they're all standing there they're all you know they're all gleaming smiles on their faces eyes completely like 
gone from this world from all the liquor they'd been drinking. The 15 bottles of vodka and their time at Poor Richards. And John Krasinski steps up there and he says, you know, we did a lot of this as a lark. That's the thing. We did a lot of this as a lark, robbing you, bringing you on to this production. We wanted to give you a night of your life that you'll never forget. And it's all been a, it's all been a joke, man. Like it's all been good. It's all been good and funny. And none of it was supposed to be, uh, you know, making you feel less than as an individual. Like obviously it was all done in good fun altogether. You know, we did it as a bit of a lark, as a bit of a joke. And we're, we're really proud that we have fans like you, the kinds of people who are ready to get robbed, who are ready to give back to the family that is. Dunder Mifflin paper. And yeah, I, I'd say I had a tear in my eye. I'll, I'll admit, it was nice to be welcomed on. Apparently, your first day on this set is a bit of a razzing. And so, yeah, I was feeling a little bit of sorts, but I was also still pretty pissed. And I said, you know what? I think if we want to make this fair, it'd be good if you could help me out with one small favor. And then we can just call it even Stevens. And they said, okay. We can, we can do one small favor. It better be small because we're really fucking out of it. And I said, look, we really need to clean up my place before my parents get home from their big summer vacation. And then the game was afoot. It was a full Ferris Bueller's sprint across town, jumping off trampolines, uh, sliding across hoods of cars, uh, running past bathing women. Uh, sorry, sunbathing women, and then, you know, walking backwards, bringing down our glasses and shaking their hands, going, hey, how do you do? <laughs> you know, it's a full Ferris Bueller's kind of situation. Uh, and they, this was the entire, imagine the entire cast and crew of The Office sprinting across the western suburbs of Melbourne, trying to get home before my parents get home and see the state of my house that's been completely ransacked. By an American sitcom. So yeah, we're all like bolting across. We managed to get there. I'm the last one there. And I land with a little like superhero landing. And I look up and my parent is right there. Fuck. They're right there. They're here in the moment. They go to open the door. The door opens and they look at me and I go, (gasps) and they look at me. And as they're looking at me, I can see behind my parents, Kevin holding a big old thing of chili. And I'm shaking my head like, no, 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 no. And yeah, it happened. It happened. You'd expect this to have a happy ending, but no. Kevin spilled his chili all over the ground. My parents turned around and you know what? They were less concerned about the chili. They were more concerned about the 40 or so year old man that was standing in my living room, pouring chili over the sofa. At this point, the cast and crew were called out. You know, they were caught. My parents caught them. And I think in the in their heads, because they'd been caught, it means the deal was completely off, that I wouldn't apologize, that they couldn't, their apology was not accepted. So they took that opportunity upon themselves to say, hey, Look, we didn't clean the place. We understand that. We might as well take what is ours. Like, if we're not making a deal, we might as well get away with something. So they started laying down mats. I said, why are you laying down mats? And they said, for the glass. I said, what do you mean for the glass? And then, bam, Aaron straight through the window, 
bringing out drawers, Meredith scrounging around through the medicine cabinets. Again, second ramsack, a fucking sequel. They completely destroy this house, completely top to bottom to the rafters, from the structural integrity up to the tilders, all the way up to the fucking cresting peak that is the tiled roofing. The entire place is taken, okay? As if somebody on Simpsons Tapped Out decided to tap out of uh, building a building and uh, I don't know I've never played tab- I don't know why I went with Simpsons I've never played it I've never played it so I don't know what I'm talking about maybe I have played it kind of vaguely remember but yeah they just met on my house and they went on their way and this was actually the last shot of that episode of the production of The Office of season 2 episode 10 Christmas Party is they just met on my house led to a bunch of sawdust from the place kind of drifting out across the landscape which thankfully for them looked like snow and they all got into their little cars and they bid each other adieu. So for their Christmas episode, they have their little snowy goodbye to credits. And for me, I was able to go back inside of what remained in my house, which is pretty much just a door frame and witness Meredith going topless for Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So that happens. And then they also... You know, I said, what the... And then my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing? And then they also bolted. So, yeah, let this... Let this recap serve as a testimony, first of all. Also as evidence in the court. Anything at all. That the office cast and crew are not to be trusted. I created this recap for one sole purpose. As mentioned, I'll say it again. It's to hold these people accountable. If this is what they did for one episode in season two, I can't imagine what they did in season seven, eight, nine when the fame of the show had really gone to their heads. I like to imagine that's probably why why um, why Steve Carell left. Probably. Probably. Or, although he was a pretty big perpetrator in this. Maybe he left because he was too much to handle and he got kicked out. So yeah, that's the real story from somebody who was actually there. Season 2, Episode 10, Christmas Party of The Office. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed making it. It's going to be a fun little edit. I hope it comes out good. There were certain points in this episode where I really lost myself as a, a person with COVID and coughed a lot and was not feeling very good. Why did... Why did I decide to record this episode? It's kind of a larger question that... I'm not going to really understand the the answer to what, even though I provided some answers before about it being me needing to have my downstairs talking. And again, I'm not talking about my 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 penis. Um, but you know what? Yeah, let's skip over that. But let me also let me just mention, just in case there's any doctors out there, or anybody else who's curious, my pen my my pen. So my genitals aren't they're not a point of conversation. Let me just say that. I'm feeling pretty called out recently is a lot of times I'm seeing comments on the show. I'm seeing people discussing the show and I love it. I love seeing people like favoring and subscribing and sharing this production out to the wider world, but it'd just be great if people didn't share, Hey, check out big tall boys. Um, it starts a guy called Alexander Krauss. Can you check to see if he's okay? Genitally? I don't understand why that's the way that this episode's being shared. It's like, I, it sounds like you're looking out for me. It sounds like it's a situation where, you know, like a news presenter gets called by a a physician who says there might be something on your neck, get it checked out. It seems like some people are listening and saying, it seems like there's something wrong with this man's uh, penis. And I don't know what about my voice is giving that across, but it's, it's consistently happening. So I just want to say, it's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. Okay. I'm doing fine. And 
I'll go to a doctor. Okay, I'll go to a doctor. I'll, I'll, I've read the room. Everybody's only talking about it. I'll go to a doctor and I'll talk to them and we'll see. But I, I think I'm fine. I think I'm probably fine. I'm probably fine. Okay, probably. Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, like this episode, like, favorite, subscribe, do all the things you do at the end of a show. But for this one, uh, this week, you're going to share this with probably the cast and crew of The Office. I think they really need to know that this is coming. You, you know what? This can be blackmail for everybody. If at any... I'm going to release this one. I'm not going to put it to court, but know that it can easily go to court and destroy the lives of any of these individuals. So you can share this with the cast and crew of the office and use this as blackmail yourself to say, hey, I'm going to put this to the higher powers that be, and you're going to be put in prison. And you can use this episode to get signed bobbleheads and, you know, various different Dundee awards and what have you, uh, which should probably be, yeah, you could probably get like a good turnaround on each of those. Also, if you are sharing these with um, Pam and Angela, I don't remember their actors' names in the, at, at the minute. It's not coming to mind. But if you are sharing this with either of those individuals, please let them know that there is somebody biting at their heels. Let them know that their show isn't infallible. And let them know that I did all of this without putting 20 adverts in my episode, without talking about nothing at all, okay? You know what? This is actually a real call-out. And I'm going to call it... If you listen to The Office Ladies, this is a real call-out. I tried listening to their show as preparation for this episode. I thought it'd be cool to do their style of show as this episode as some sort of, like, uh, you know, like, uh, parody of it to some extent, which I've done in a sense, but... Five minutes in, I was bored out of my fucking mind. I know, I know. Look, I, sometimes my egotism is masked by my sarcastic demeanor and that I'm saying a lot of things tongue-in-cheek, so in actuality, I'm not really saying I'm better than everybody else when it comes to podcasting. But The Office Ladies is one of the worst things I've ever listened to. <laughs> in terms of a bad show, at least, would have like, oh, that's a cool idea. That went a bit too far with that. That's weird. But... At no point was I ever taken aback in those few minutes where I listened to the show. It was really stiff. The uh, It didn't feel like they really enjoyed it. I, I, maybe they do enjoy each other's company, but like I've never met people who talk to each other like that. It felt very clinical. Their opening song section included a disclosure about who they are in relation to The Office, which, like, have fun with your song. What are you doing with the disclosure in there? It's like the worst song I've ever heard. Uh, and the brief clip, I kind of skimmed through parts of it, and the brief parts where they were talking about behind-the-scenes situations weren't fun stories. I don't think their show's good at all. I couldn't find anything redeemable about it. So this is a real call-out to them, but also to, if you listen to this show and it's like, I love podcasts, my favorite show is Office Ladies, and you think less of me now because of my me saying that their show's really bad, I actually don't care. I I This goes beyond... Me trying to have, uh, you know, sustain my relationship with other individuals by saying, like, you when you meet somebody new and they start talking about a show that you don't particularly like, and it's really hard for you to be, to really, like, talk about it negatively, so you just don't really make a lot of comments. Like, you meet somebody and, like, they love Big Bang Theory or what have you, and it's like, I really don't, like, I, I don't know, I don't know. I am fully, I'm fully content in saying Office Ladies is hot garbage. And I think we need more of that because people keep making some really bad shit out in the world. And I think it's about time that we start calling people out on it. You know, the, no more of this, you, no more of this, you did a great job. No more of this, you know, keep it up. No more of this. Everybody has a podcast. It's just going to be me in the end. Okay. 
It's just going to be my turn at the end. And like Osmandius, I've never read the poem, but I understand as a reference, as a reference that people remember, like Osmandius, I'm going to be around forever. So <laughs> as a reference, as the reference of Osmandius, I'll be around forever. Just like that reference, baby. All right. Um, chill, grill, fill up on medications. I'm going to go lay down and slowly saunter off into the great skies above. Uh, play the song. Um, hi, can I get a big tall boy? 